And what's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Knock Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Geiger. And this week, I was joined by Adam Grenda. If you're familiar with the show and you listen frequently, you've probably kind of caught on to how I like to structure these podcasts. Obviously, in my personal opinion, there's a time and a place for somewhat of an interview structure where I just pepper the guests with questions because we're trying to learn as much as we possibly can. Then there's other times where maybe I have a friend on or somebody that I've known for a long time. I don't write shit down and we just shoot the shit and have a good time. Before I even jumped on this episode with Adam, I knew that that was going to be one of these episodes. We were just going to talk shop, no agenda, and just fucking kick it, which is exactly what we did. And it turned out great. Had a great conversation with Adam. The dude is absolutely hilarious. Uh, Quick story before I kind of tell you all what we talked about. We do the podcast for over an hour, and then we stay on the line afterwards and just kind of kick it for a little bit longer. He's asking me, hey, man, how was the podcast doing? This, that, and the third. I was like, yeah, man, it's, you know, tell him how it's going. And then he goes, what's the name of your show? So if that doesn't just kind of explain him in a nutshell, we talked for over an hour and he didn't even know the name of the show that he was on. Not because he's not intelligent, but because he doesn't care. Why, why should he? He doesn't care about brands, sponsorships, what he looks like, if he hurts anybody's feelings on the internet. He's barely even online to begin with. The dude is just an absolute beast of a hunter. He kills big shit. He minds his business. He does good by others. He does good by his family. And he's just an overall great guest. I really appreciate you, Adam, for coming on. We talked about all types of things. Obviously, the dude lives in Alaska. He's got some pretty crazy brown bear uh, encounters, which we definitely touched on. And we, we were just all over the map, man. And then towards the end, we did get a little bit serious. I wanted to know uh, kind of what it's like being a father and a foster parent at that. So Adam kind of dives into the challenges and just difficulties of being a foster parent with the system being structured the way it is but adam if you listen to this back man appreciate you coming on i know a lot of people have been man when's grander coming on this that and the third so thank you for your time i hope you all enjoy this episode and we'll check you next week boom when it comes to hunting travel or any adventure having quality gear can make or break the experience that's why i have partnered with farewell coffee roasters out of bend oregon They are a firefighter-owned company and husband and wife team committed to making delicious coffee and providing exceptional customer service. This year, they launched a premium instant coffee geared toward the hunter and backcountry enthusiasts like I know many of you are. It's a smooth, rich-tasting coffee that's light and packable, making it perfect for any trip. Whether you are making some coffee on the tailgate before you hit the river, while you lay in your sleeping bag at spike camp before you go chase bugles for the day, or need a great coffee to bring with you on your travels, try Farewell Coffee Roasters and check out their whole selection at farewellcoffeeroasters.com or on Instagram at farewell coffee roasters when you head on over to the checkout page make sure to type in knock p 15 for 15 percent off your first order you guys i drank farewell instant packs all fall while chasing elk and mule deer and it is the only coffee that i choose to drink now so head on over to their site make the purchase try their coffee and you'll be a customer for life rucker knives if you follow me on social you know these are the only knives i choose to use both in a hunting and edc capacity why do i choose to use these knives opposed to any other thing on the market well the quality these blades hold an edge unlike any other blade that i've used which is why i continue to run them along with that they're handcrafted they're handcrafted and they can also be used as a heirloom if you guys don't know what a heirloom is it's something that you pass down to your children for generations upon generations these are the type of quality knives that i'm talking about and that's why i use them a little bit about the people behind rucker knives first off thomas rucker he's been making knives for over 40 years he's a former vietnam area green beret with four purple hearts along with thomas you have Peyton armstrong who's a medically retired u.s navy seal both were outdoor guides and outfitters in montana and idaho and they're both diehard hunters, especially Peyton. I've hunted with Peyton multiple times, and he's excellent. Plus, he knows what type of tools you need for the trade. They teach forging classes in Montana, and they know how to make a tool that can be used in rough conditions because they've seen it all. These two individuals have fought in multiple wars. I'd venture to say that they know what type of tool you need. So I highly recommend you heading over to RuckerKnives.com, and let's save you some cheese while you're at it. Use code knockp 23 for 10% off and tell them Tyler sent you. Again, that is code knockp as in performance, 23 for 10% off. 
Enjoy this week's episode. This is the Knock Performance Podcast, bringing you thought-provoking discussions around health, fitness, discipline, consistency, relationships, and the outdoors. Our mission is to help you reach your highest level of performance in life. Here's your host, Tyler Geiger. Three, two, one, boom, we're rolling. Adam Grenda, thanks for coming, brother. How you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. I'm. Uh, we're going to do this one a little bit different. Well, not really. Uh, usually I take notes and just depends on who I'm talking to, I guess. It's like more of an interview style. We're just going to shoot the shit. Are you cool with that? I'm a no notes kind of guy, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, I figured you were. I figured you were from a little bit that we've talked. Uh, this will be fun. You can't fly today. I mean, technically I could. My airplane's kind of pulled apart, um, had some mechanical issues yesterday, but we just got a weather service notice. I think it's like negative 15, but it's, blow, it's supposed to blow 50 today, so that's like a negative 70 wind chill, so doesn't sound like a good idea. How'd you end up getting into flying? Um, I used to love fishing, man. I would sit on, I grew up in North Idaho, I'd sit on like the shores of Hauser Lake, Fernand Lake, um, just a little fat kid with worms and power bait, and... Uh, I'd sit out there for like 12 hours. My dad's like, you need to go to Alaska. I've fished Alaska. It's insane. It was like, I don't know, 30 years ago or something, 25, 30 years ago. He had fished the Nushigak River, which is ironic because I still fish that every summer now uh, for King Salmon. And he showed me pictures and he's like, you just need to go up there and just like work as someone's camp bitch or whatever. And so he kind of knew this guy. We met him. It's kind of weird. And... I was supposed to work for free for like six hours a day and then get to fish six hours. Well, I worked like 14 hours a day and hardly ever fished. Um, I was between junior and senior high school, and it was kind of an eye-opening moment because uh, Turbine Otter came in on amphibs, which are floats where the wheels come out, you know, so you can take off on a runway, tuck the wheels up in the float, and then land on the river. And I got a picture of me, 17 years old, wearing hip boots, you know, the ones that just clip onto your belt gloves well, unloading bags and i was just like this is so freaking badass like these guys are just the real deal like everyone everyone used to read outdoor life you know before social media you had to read a magazine when you're taking a shit right and you'd see all these guys <laughs> you know with super cubs and beavers and hunting alaska the last frontier and then I, I like everyone i was drawn to it and i was like man this is cool I just Alaska got its hooks into me and then came home and I told my dad, I'm like, my le- next life, I'm I'm going to be a bush pilot, dude. I'm going to do what those guys do. They're highly respected. They bring people groceries. They take you to the hospital. And uh, he's like, well, it's not too late. You can do that. So they helped me a lot with credit cards and finance and all of it. And then nine months later, after I started, I was a flight instructor. So I hit it pretty hard. And where are you from originally? North Idaho, Post Falls. North Idaho. Okay. So you just packed it up and fucking just went out to Alaska? No, I wish I would. I don't have many regrets about in life or anything like that. But uh, I worked seasonally because all the fishing and flying is kind of related to the summer. There's so much work up here to fly in the summer. I did all that. Um, I was going to school. Took six years to finish college because I partied too much. And... uh, yeah, then eventually I moved up here full time. But every summer I was I was like fishing guide, getting my foot in the door, and then trying to do both. And then eventually I got out of the guiding, and I do a little bit for salmon, but mostly just a pilot flying for like high end resorts and lodges and stuff like that, flying people out fishing every day. You you have a super cub, correct? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, it wasn't feasible for me to buy one because I flew all summer. Then I'd go to school and I'd hunt all fall into the winter, so it didn't make sense to buy one. And so I didn't buy the Super Cup until I moved up to Alaska, like in 2017. Okay. You'll die there, won't you? You love it there. I don't have any reason to leave, man. I mean, I get I get told all the time, man, you're living my dream. And I said, no, dude, I'm living my dream. This is like, could never have pictured this in a thousand years to be where I'm at. So I'm pretty blessed and just have incredible opportunity, have an amazing wife who wants to live in the middle of nowhere, who makes good money, who's a freaking dime piece. And uh, only downside about her is she loves hunting just as much as I do. So, you know, (laughs) shit's expensive, you know? (laughs) Hell yeah. Is she from there? Did you meet her out there? Uh, We met on this thing called Tinder. You ever heard of it? Nah, never, not once. No. True love story then. Yeah. uh, Never thought I would meet a girlfriend on Tinder, let alone a wife, but here we are. And my buddy's like, you got to get on there. It's just crawling with chicks. And I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't need an app to meet girls. 
And I guess I got, uh, what do you say, desperate. I, I had kind of run through the local bars in Cheney, Washington. I was going to school at Eastern Washington University. Um, I was outdoor recreation major, super easy degree. Uh, none of those girls were cool. And so I jumped on this app and it was just like a joke. Like I'd never met any girl on there who was cool at all. Um, and then I ran into my wife and hit it off, dude. Yeah, I mean, usually people are on there for one thing and one thing only. And I know actually a couple people who have met their wives on that fucking app. So that's pretty, that's unique. Very, very weird how it yeah. works out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, what else we got? How I'm curious, man. Like, you're you're really fun to follow on. Well, let's start, let's start here and then I'll get to that. Um, was it last year or was it the year before with, when your bowl got stolen? 2022. Was that last year? 22. 22. Yep. Yeah, so you were out um you were out in Montana doing some hunting and harvested a really sweet bowl. And then next thing I know like there's this viral post going around of Adam Grenda got his bowl stolen. And I'm like, "Well, first of all, who would steal a bowl? And second of all, who the fuck's Adam Grenda? Like I had no idea who you were." But then I clicked your page and I was like, "Oh, this guy like is a big-time hunter." And then I'm reading into it and I'm like, Billings, Billings. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, I work in Billings. So I, why didn't why don't I know about this? So I reach out and find the guy who is in charge of your case. And I'm trying to get a hold of you because I'm like, I want to take this case over. I, I I need to try to help this dude. And then I got your number from I want to say it was Dan Staten. Yep. He said that he had hunted with you in the past or something like that. And I was like, all right, well, I need his number. I work here. Long story short, we tracked it down, and it got basically sold to an antler dealer. And they cut your shit, and you ended up getting those back, right? Yeah, I just want to say thanks, dude. You were really instrumental in that. I thought I would never see that elk again. I thought they were going to be cut up into dog chews or sold to a pawn shop or whatever. Um, but yeah, killed a three forty bull with my bow. And I'm, I'm not a big bow hunter just because it's hard to put down the bow and you can legally pick up a rifle. Alaska doesn't have a lot of strictly bow season. So I was really special, super cool. I filmed the thing. I was solo. My brother-in-law was across the drainage watching. And um, it was really cool because, like, when you look at statistics of how elk are killed, I actually ambushed that thing, dude, like a freaking Indian. Just sitting on a trail, waiting for him to come down water, following cows. Like, that never works. The lead cow always busts you. I screwed it up like 12 times, and finally it all worked out, and I smoked him, and I was still hunting, and a brother-in-law was driving the bull home because he had to get home. And he's like, hey, I need to stop in Billings for a few hours. And I thought about saying something, but I'm like, we've never brought antlers in to a hotel ever, you know? Just put it in the back of the truck, strap everything down, and just back up to the door. And, uh, yeah, that was a pretty gut-wrenching feeling. And he felt horrible. I felt horrible. Um, but as I can't freak out, like, that's not going to do anything. The antlers are gone. And then you reached out to me and the sheriff's department. I think you were kind of working with those guys together because you're Billings, yep. right? And, yep. um, yeah, they the thing kind of went viral. And I don't care anything about social media going viral, but it was really cool to see the hunting community come in. Tons of people shared that. And uh, a dude saw it on Facebook in Laurel, which is just outside of Billings, who is an antler buyer. I think a couple other things, just kind of jack of all trades. And he's like, hey, this kind of looks familiar. But what tipped him off is the people who sold the antlers. I had the, I had the bull caped out, but still on the skull, you know. And so there's cape frozen with the antlers and they brought it in. They were kind of weird, you know, tweakers and they like asked him for a sawzall. And so he's like, yeah, whatever. There's one over there. They took it to a garbage can, I guess, cut the antlers off below the burr so I can still get them mounted. Um, and then he gave him like 300 bucks for this 340 bull. So now I got sheds from this 340 bull. These tweakers just cut off, sold them to this dude. And he's like, Hey, this looks kind of weird. Inline seven on the left, big six on the right, a 340 bull. Mm-hmm. Looked at his Facebook. He's like, oh, man. So then he called the sheriff because he's like, I don't want anything to do with stolen stuff. I don't want it to come back on me. Didn't have the name or the number of this chick, supposedly, who was the tweaker who sold him. Um, If you guys do know who that was, I would like to know. And, uh, yeah, called the sheriff, and they had him that night. And then I think you went and picked him up for me. Correct. And got him to someone who drove him to Idaho. And then I literally just picked him up uh, from my brother-in-law's house, and they're sitting in storage. 
Hell yeah. You got a cape? Yeah, I got a couple leads on capes. I'm just broke. I got too many things to mount right now. I've been, been killing a lot of big stuff. And so my taxidermy bills are kind of through the roof between sheep and all kinds of other stuff. So I'm just kind of holding off on that. But it's cool they didn't cut them above the burr so I can still mount them. Um, and I did lose a bunch of gear too. They had thousands of dollars of gear. Yeah, it was like twelve grand or something like that. Yeah. Um, I had one of those Kuyu 9,000 duffel bags with... I think everything that I owned in there for a hunt, and like you, we all have really top-notch stuff. They took that, they took my brother-in-law's bow, and the... All your Sitka gear. Uh, all my, all my, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I had to go through replacing that. The hardest part about that, it's not so much the money. It's like you don't know all the stuff you have. So you have to kind of do a couple small, like, two- to three-day hunts. Yes. You got to figure out, oh, I'm missing a second headlamp, or, oh, I don't have a spoon, or... Oh, I have two lighters and those are gone too. And so that took a long time to kind of replace all that. And I think I'm back to normal now, like a couple years later, but man, screw Billings. You know what? I couldn't agree more with you. Screw Billings. Yeah. I don't work there anymore. So here we are. Yeah. I guess, uh, I guess that's a common thing after talking to people during hunting season, everyone's got thousands, if not a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff in their truck between optics and gear and guns and all kinds of stuff. Tweakers just go around at like two, three in the morning um, into motels and they start taking stuff out of the back of people's trucks. And the unfortunate part about it is, is that your, was it your brother-in-law who had it? Yeah. He picked maybe, you know, top three worst places you probably could have stayed, you know. Yeah. And he's yeah, like, but... I've never had problems with the come on in. And I'm like, well, it was right <laughs> next, it was right next to the freeway. He's like, yeah, but they had a fence around it and everything. But if you're thinking of it from a thief mindset, they could get in sweep through the parking lot, have 10 minutes of like high stressful, intense times, and then boom, on the freeway and you're out of town. Yeah, they're on 90 and we'll see you never. Yep. Yep, yep. And that's how it went down. But at least we got your horns back. You know, gear is one thing, but you can't really replace a fucking bull that you worked really hard and, you know, epic. You sent me the footage of it too. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, I think that hunts on YouTube. We got it posted and uh, it was cool. I shot him with the Luminoc and you just see it rip right through him like, he went on a whitetail or whatever, and it sticks in the ground behind him, and he ran 90 yards and coughed, and I was like, uh-oh, dude, that's not good. No, not good at all. Good for you. Yeah. Um, I like how you said you've been killing a lot of big shit. That's one thing that I enjoy about your page. I know you've worked your whole life to be a hunting influencer, um, so congratulations on that title. You're really crushing it. Um, but you stand out a little bit more than your typical influencer. I'm totally fucking with you, but you actually kill shit which I uh, I appreciate. I appreciate you don't talk a whole lot. You make fun of a lot of people, which is quite enjoyable, and you actually kill shit, so it's refreshing. Thanks. Growing up, my dad, his biggest say I can remember was there's a big difference between talking and doing. You know, there's a lot of guys that want to run their mouth and say, I'm going to do this. I mean, you know how many times I've heard, oh, I'm going to buy a Super Cub and move to Alaska. I'm like, dude, great. I'd love to help you, and I give tons of flight training advice for free. I've flown with people for free. Um, I'm all about trying to keep people from killing themselves and not being a statistic. But it's really easy to say I'm going to sell all my possessions, sell my diesel pickup, finance an airplane, learn how to fly it, and then spend the next forever trying not to kill myself to build a skill set to go live in the last frontier. What you do is extremely dangerous flying those planes. Like, you know that. I, I think everybody knows that, but, I mean... Allegedly. You're just, yeah. You, allegedly. I mean, you obviously know what the fuck you're doing. Um, You ever get nervous? No, because if you get nervous, then you start making bad decisions. Then you're decisions. fucked. Yeah. yeah. Then you're fucked. I mean, um, like anything, you build a skill set. It's like when you get a pilot's license, I'm telling you, I got nine months later, I had a flight instructor rating. I got a piece of paper so that I can teach people how to fly which should mean I know really how to fly an airplane and all the dynamics and what it's going to do. No, I got 250 hours or 300 hours or something like that, you know? Um, which ain't dick in the scheme of things, really. No, you don't know anything about airplanes. And like 250 to 500, that's the time frame of usually when you kill yourself because you're cock of the block. You just you think you got it figured out. You're watching YouTube, and I fell victim to that. And you're just trying to be a cowboy and you don't know your limitations and sometimes guys find that really quick and it results in death um the saying is though like you have these pieces of paper that say you're a pilot you have an empty bag of skill and you got a full bag of luck 
most people, right? If God punches your ticket and he wants you to die, you're going to be done. But you try and fill up your skill bag before the luck bag runs out, you know, and through the process of breaking parts and bending stuff and screwing up and close calls of weather. Luckily, I'm still here, but I don't, I've come to the point now and I've heard other aviators say this. If I'm getting scared or I'm getting nervous, I've pushed it too far. Like I should know when to turn around. I should know my limitations. You know, in days like today where it's negative 70, it's an easy choice to make. Like I'm going to stay inside or work on my airplane in the hangar. Sure. What's your favorite hunt in Alaska? Like the favorite I, I enjoy doing or my most memorable? Let's do both. Yeah, that'd be fun. Ugh, that's tough, man. It's tough up here because there's so many opportunities. I have my own airplane, so I have my own transportation. I've built up a pretty good skill set, um, and I can distance myself from other people. I really like moose. I guess if I was known as the half-assed influencer or whatever, uh, I'm a pretty big trophy hunter, and I'll just say that because let's just let's call it what it is. If there's a 370 bull standing next to a 300-inch elk, the guys that just are out there for meat hunting, they're going to shoot the big bull every day of the week, right? Um, and if you shoot spike elk, they're not nearly as big as a six-point bull. So you get twice the amount of meat on a big animal, too. And we eat a lot of moose and caribou and animals. Um, but the first moose I ever shot was a 68-inch Boone and Crockett, like 229-inch bull. And from then, I just I wanted to – I don't care at all what people think. I could care less about social media or followers or whatever – I just want to kill really, really big moose. They just really turn my crank, you know, and I look up to guys like Dan Evans, right? He'll pass 380 bulls to shoot a bull over 400. Like, how can you pass up a 380-inch bull? Well, same way I pass up 20 Boone and Crockett bulls and didn't shoot a moose one year so I could shoot a bigger one the next year. Just was looking for something really unique. So I love the moose hunting. The dynamic, just like any ungulate, will change so much from the beginning of the season through the rut till post-rut. So it's pretty cool to have different tactics and different locations and archery and rifle. I shot my first one with a bow this last year. That was freaking insane. Um, and to answer the second question, the most memorable would be a brown bear hunt. Um, we're talking brown bears. We're talking, some people call them the Kodiak brown bear, but it doesn't matter. Like Kodiak brown bears, Alaska Peninsula brown bears, and Russia are the biggest in the world. Um the number 10 foot gets thrown out a lot, but that's like a 400 inch bull elk. I've killed two Boone and Crockett bears, never killed a 10 foot bear. Um, but my brother-in-law, Travis came up here. I just become Alaska resident. So I did my whole year to gain my residency, just became a resident. I'm like, dude, let's go shoot some round bears. And we didn't know anything about it. So I found a spot, talked to a few guys, um, found a good spot to keep the airplane. And we were in kind of this drainage where bears would funnel through looking for sows or looking for food. And we went in there and I think day two, I shot a bear like six miles from the airplane, but I shot him at midnight because there's no, in Alaska, there's no shooting light rules. Cause if you can see it, you can shoot it. Cause daylight varies so vastly over the state shot him like 1145 or midnight. We're up till three 30 skin in by this time it's dark. And it took us like seven hours, or eight hours to get the six miles to where the bear was. I'm like, dude, I don't know if it's a good idea to walk back. And he's like, no. And we had joked about sleeping under the hide before anyone else started doing this. And it, before, before I made it cool or whatever, I guess, because we had talked to a buddy one time that shot a bear, got fogged in and he's like, I was going to die. So I skinned the bear and I rolled up in it and I slept in it. That's not a good idea. Like you have to burn all your clothes when you're done. You can never get the smell out. I literally threw that, that camo out. Um, but we did that. I felt like I was almost going to go hypothermic. Uh, woke up like three hours later, started doing uphill sprints and then started walking out. There was a lot of snow. And where I walked through the day before, my light chiseled 250-pound frame, 300 pounds with all my gear. Now I had probably, mm, the bear hide is 126 pounds. Probably had 140 on top of that. So now instead of 300, I'm 440. And the snow will set up when you walk through like frozen creeks and stuff. But I have my trekking poles and I run my wrist through the wrist strap to kind of make them a little more solid. Yep. Bad move when you're on the snow. Don't do that. Um, and I post hold through to like my knees. I'm like, oh, and I got myself back up, took two more steps, went through to my armpits, but my trekking poles were on top of the snow. They didn't penetrate. And so my right shoulder goes behind my head, dislocate the shoulder, trying not to cry like a bitch. Didn't in front of my brother-in-law. Luckily rolled on it. It snapped back in. 
and I had six miles to carry out 140 pounds in a Kuyu pack and made it to the airplane and flew that one out to a freezer, got a burger and flew back that same day because you don't want to burn a day. If you fly, you're not hunting that day. So we wanted to get all that done, all the flying done, landed before it got dark so we could hunt the following day. And then rested a few days, ended up getting sick. My brother-in-law shot a legit 10 foot eight, another Boone and Crockett brown bear in the same drainage. So we killed two book bears in five days. First ever big game hunt in Alaska. It's pretty, it's pretty special. No doubt. I want to, there's one clip on your page. I know you, you've been taking your daughters out to hunt um, over the past few years, it seems like maybe. And yep. one of them killed a really good bear and you're taking a video and she's jacked. And then like silhouetted is another bear probably it doesn't look more than a hundred yards away, just like doing its thing. And you guys are all excited. No one's really even paying attention to this other bear. And you're like, Oh, must've smelled our packs and ran away. And I showed that to my old man and he's like, this guy just doesn't give a fuck. And I was like, no, I think he's just really comfortable out there. Like where, like where did that comfortability come with? I mean, people are fucking petrified of brown bears. It, maybe just because most people around here aren't being able to hunt them and they're not having many encounters with them. But where did that come from? Just, I mean, you, you kind of can't be scared, right? If you're going to be out there. Yeah. Well, a couple things like the grizzlies down in like Wyoming, Montana, those animals never get hunted. Our bears are, we're hunting. They smell people, they're gone. Because the only sure. time they see people, people is when they're getting shot at. Um, I also think being doing the fishing guiding thing, you're inevitably fishing for trout behind spawning salmon in the same vicinity where brown bears all, are all summer. Um, a lot of that's in national parks and stuff where they don't get hunted. So you learn to read a bear's behavior, just like you could call in an elk and read his temperature, so to speak. And so you see, like in that case shot the bear and before it even went on film i had seen it i didn't even say anything to my daughter like you keep your head on a swivel because you're out there with a 13 year old kid right sure um and so you you think about what could happen but you don't let it i guess affect your judgment too much and i saw the bear i knew it was a small bear like a six footer i knew it was circling downwind of us i knew it saw us i knew it was going for our packs because they were right on a trail the bear was on and i knew when it got downwind of our packs it was going to take off and if it didn't I would yell at it and run at it with my hands up like a crazy tweaker from Billings. And if it didn't, if it didn't turn away, I would start pumping it full of bullets with a 338. So yeah, I guess I just, I look at my odds and I look at the statistics, like how many people have been murdered in a town from a crazy person. That's, that's pretty scary. Like I had to go to Chicago and you can't have a gun. Everyone else has a gun because they don't care about the rules, but I had to travel through Chicago. That was way scarier for me than being in the woods sleeping next to a brown bear stream in the fall with bears walking all around the tent. Yeah. You kind of have the mindset. I think one of your, one of your videos was saying like, you're trying to tell your daughter, like where, where the predator or what were you saying? Do you remember, you remember what I was, what I'm referring to? Yeah. I think I just told her like, look, we're going to, on the flight down there, I told her in a headset, I got three things. First off, we're going to be safe. We're going to have fun, and then we want to kill a bear. And my kids know we're going out to kill something. We're not going to go harvest a bushel of bear meat or take sunset pictures. The mission is to go kill an animal and punch a tag, and they know that. And it's not a total failure if we don't because you get to experience all this cool stuff. That's the only downside of that hunt. It was over in the first two hours. We had seen like 15 bears. She shot this bear, got on video. It was awesome. Um but they know the mission. But I also told her, I'm like, look, we're the, we're the apex predator. Bears are scared of us. Yeah. And the 1% chance that my wife's had to run into before when the bear actually comes at you, I said, we're prepared if that happens. And we're going to go down swinging and we're going to win. But I said, the odds of that happening, happening statistically are so, so small. What you refer to with the uh, situation with your wife, was that the video where she was with her brother-in-law? Yeah, they shot a bear, I think, three or four times. They're like 400 yards, so 338. Um, and that video, that's fucking a crazy story, man. It was. Where were you? You, were, you weren't in town, or what happened? Were you hunting with somebody else? or teaching fucking t-ball to my kids, man. I was early. <laughs> and uh, we all have those uh, Garmin inReach devices, but those have a delay. And so I got all yes. the message, like, gun jam, bears coming at us, what do we do, rapid fire. And by the time it had all happened, I just got the message, and it was 
it was kind of getting close to dark and I'm like, do I need to fly over and throw him a 12 gauge or what do I need to do? And, uh, yeah, they shot the bear. The bear started coming at him slowly and it was pumping out blood out its mouth, pumping out lungs on both sides. And that was that 1% where the bear decided, Hey, I'm going to come for you. And, uh, the gun had jammed, a, pr a spent primer from a load that was too hot, uh, fell into the action. It wouldn't allow the bolt uh, recoil lugs to engage, so the gun wouldn't go off. And so they backed down the hill, had my 454. My brother-in-law lost the chest holster, found it in his boot tracks a couple yards back, ran down, got some cover behind rocks, and the bear came into like seven yards. Missed it at 20, and he only got five shots in a Magnum revol revolver, and... Uh, put three into his chest at like five yards and then that turned him and he had one shot left and he put one through the lungs and that kind of killed him and he took a few steps and then kind of slid down the hill and made an avalanche but that messed her up she still kind of struggles with that and stuff she's good if I'm in the field because I I have the confidence to be out there and like everything but if you drop her off solo which I still do um her mind kind of races about the what ifs but I've never been in that situation so I can't say what it would be like but yeah pretty scary for everyone and what he shoot it with? Three thirty eight Ultramag. And he hit him three times in the chest, and that just spun him. Yeah, it was like lungs, high shoulder, neck, and then maybe one more. Could have been three. I don't remember. And then with the with the four fifty four, I think it was three right into the chest, all center mass. And then he spun like did a two seventy, and then he was broadside, slightly quarter away, and he shot him in the lungs again. With uh, son of a bitch, three hundred sixty grain buffalo bores. That's a huge shout out. Like that buffalo bore ammo. It's serious business. That's all we shoot. I wouldn't shoot anything else. Yeah, that's I, the one that you carry on your chest, right? Yeah, I mean, I was wearing it yesterday. And I was trapping. I mean, no bears are yeah. awake right now, but just for the what if you gotta you gotta be prepared for the worst case scenario and stuff. But yeah, you want good ammo and want a big gun. Yeah, no doubt. What's a typical day look like for you? Like, is it technically like the off season? Like Man, I, really don't have, I really don't have an off season. That's the coolest part. Um, being in Alaska um, and having a wife that wants to go do stuff. I mean, like right now I'm trapping full time. I just got back from Mexico from Marlin fishing. And uh, I said about half my trap line yesterday, but I had a tailwheel issue. Like the tailwheel went flat, so I couldn't couldn't keep. I could have kept going, but I didn't want to do any more damage than potentially was going to happen. And airplane parts are expensive. And... Uh, you know, people think that's like life or death, but there's situations that just happen out there. You just kind of have to deal with it. And then, uh, yeah, when it's done blowing and super cold, I'm going to go put the rest of my traps out and trap all winter. And then I'll start probably looking for moose sheds and spring bear seasons coming up. And I've got a really good friend and we're going to go hunt the Alaska Peninsula for some giant bears this spring with a bow. Are you trying to trap anything? Um... No, not you kind of have to trap what you have in your area if you want to be successful. So we have a lot of Wolverine. I trap a lot of those, and then I trap wolves. I'll get a few lynx and then a couple Martin every year. A lot of fox, that's just kind of an incidental catch, and then maybe a couple coyotes. But mostly Wolverine and then wolves, I would say. How nasty are Wolverines? Like, are they just aggressive as hell? Yeah, I would rather run into a brown bear than a Wolverine. I've never seen one alive because I use a three thirty conibear, bear, so they're dead when I get there, but... Pound for pound, they're the Alaska honey badger. They don't give a shit. They are mean. Really? Yeah. Over a brown bear, huh? Yeah, they're just, they're all ass, dude. They're just tough and mean. And when you skin them out, they just look like a 30-pound little wrestler. Razor sharp claws and teeth. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and you sell the pelts and stuff? Yeah, I, I sell all that. I mean, that's like one of the few benefits of social media. I sell it all through Instagram and stuff like that if people want hides or I sell a couple moose sheds and stuff on there just to kind of, I don't make any money because I spend, I don't know, I think last winter I spent 15 grand on Avgas, maybe more. So I'm just trying to break even, you know, if you can, yeah, how, break, if you can break even with a super cup trapping, that's doing pretty good. How's the dick bomb business? <laughs> Dicks are good, man. I had a guy reach out trying to sell me a few dicks last night because I'm kind of out of dick bones. And so, uh, yeah, I'm trying to buy a few more to start slinging them. And I guess if you're going to be known for something, be known for dicks. Did you not give Donald Trump Jr. a dick bone? No, I gave Donald Trump Jr. and his girlfriend, Kimberly, who's a sweetheart, uh, both brown bear dick bones. Man, was he just stoked or what? He's just a freaking cool dude. Like, he just... He just wants to talk about sheep hunting and killing stuff and flying around super cubs. He loves hunting. He loves long range shooting. So we had a lot in common. It was a pretty cool party to go to. 
and I think I was in December in Florida. Flew down there for that. And you're, um, I hope I don't sound like a creep, man. I've just, I knew that I was going to end up talking to you and I just tried to get a little bit of background on folks. I've been, we've been back and forth for a month or two and I've just been following you guys. And did your wife not wear like a, uh, like a wolf, like a custom wolf jacket or what, what was she wearing? Like some sweet fur. It's called a shawl. She sewed that up. Uh, it's a wolf I trapped and it wasn't really worth anything because it was a pack of eight. I had found their tracks. I tracked them. They were they just killed the moose, but they ate a bunch of it. And uh, I went in there. I set snares around it. And I had to pull the snares because they were kind of drifting in with snow. But before I did that, I caught one bitch. And the other wolves had kind of eaten off the back legs and the ass end of her. So we got that high tan because I couldn't sell it. And she sewed it into it. It's called a shawl. It basically just wraps around your shoulders. Okay. And, uh, yeah, bless her heart. She wore that in Florida. It was like 80 degrees, but it was, it was pretty cool. Let's talk to the party. So a lot trade, of compliments on that then. Yeah. Yeah. I think she ended up selling it to a friend, actually. A friend wanted to buy it. And so she sold that. And between that and Dick's, we had a good representation for Alaska. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, just so people don't think I'm a queer dude, I got to give some context to the whole Dick thing. I think they know, but yeah, you might as well give a little background. Well, just in case people just listen to podcasts or whatever. So I never thought I'd be known for selling dicks. I didn't even know Wolf had a, a dick bone, but it's called a baculum. Bears have them, coons, coyotes, fox, wolverine, wolves and bears. Um, as far as I know, I'm sure there's a lot more. And uh, we had trapped a bunch of wolves or killed some, I can't remember. And I had a bunch and I had a buddy skin one out. And he did like a really delicate job where he left all the cartilage in the ears and stuff. And so then we just roll them up, put them in the freezer. And then when it got bad weather like today or something, I'll pull them out and I'll finish putting the wolf up and pulling all the feet out and getting it ready for taxidermy so I can sell it. And I did this and it was on the fleshing board and I had the draw knife and I'm fleshing all the fat and the hide off and I hit this. I'm like, that's weird. And so I reached down there and I'm like, this thing's got a bone, dude. And I knew bears had them and so I kind of put two and two together. It's a total joke. I just listed on my Instagram because I like to show people like the trapping side because Alaska trapping yeah. is super, super cool. And um, for guys that live in lower 48, it's like the last frontier where there's fur running around everywhere. And certain spots there are, there's a lot of dead zones. And so I just put it on there as a joke. And I'm like, which one of you sick bastards would buy this? And let's do a silent bid for like 24 hours. And one of my buddies from Fairbanks bought it for 105 bucks. And so then all the wolves I had trapped and killed, they're sitting in my back like fur shed and they're frozen, and I had like a stack of like 15 wolf bodies back there, frozen together. And so I, then I made a reel, and I'm like, hey, I'm not gay, but 100 bucks is 100 bucks. If you guys need a dick, I'll go wax, <laughs> Come some, on. Dicks. I'll go wax some dicks off for you right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, people started messaging me. I started having to separate all these wolf bodies and find out which ones I was grabbing around. Oh, this one's got one. Let's chop it off. And I was selling them, and people use them for like a, a drink stir stick. They give it to their buddy. They just have it as a gag gift. I've sent them to buddies, like drill a hole and put some fishing line through it for a necklace. Um, you know, it's a good martial arts thing. If you got some tweaker and you need to stab it through the eye, like no one's going to live with a dick bone through the eye. Hell no. In there. So I'm not gay. That's how the dick bone thing turned turned out. Um, I got a few wolf dicks I still need to sell. Um, I'll probably bring some of the Salt Lake Expo to give to some buddies and sell a few. And, uh, yeah, I made like over a thousand bucks just selling dicks. So as part of being an entrepreneur and tying all these revenue in- incomes together, I feel like it works out. I might have to grab one from you, uh, gift it to my old man. He'd get a real kick out of that. See, you, you got go. a couple, you got a couple left. You got a couple wolf dick bones. I'll have to look. I think so. What are I we got- talking here? Like, I mean, standard average white or what do we got here? Yeah, I would say like average is like four and a half to five inches. Over over five, you're looking at a booner, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What can you get them? Yeah. I don't know. What you the can get them on planes then. Oh yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. Cause. Okay. Yeah. I might. Uh, yeah, we might have to make a deal offline here because I'm gonna be seeing my dad in like two weeks. So, yeah, I might have to give yeah, him I'll one. Take through my freezer. I think I got a few left still. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That's funny. Um, what else we got, man? Are you are you just naturally fucking huge or like are you in the gym um like quite frequently? Um I have a pretty big upper torso, so I kind of carry it all on top. My legs are super strong, but uh I don't have much of an ass, my wife says. Um I don't know. Food's my sport. I love eating, but I do go to the gym cuz I'm married to a personal fitness trainer. She has a whole 
online business of health and fitness and I try not to be a fat ass because that would kind of make her look bad. I don't usually accomplish the goal very much, but uh, try and stay in good shape. I try to go to the gym. I kind of fall off. I used to go a lot in the winter, but if I'm trapping all day, I'm outside, I'm active. The cold just takes it out of you, so I'm usually pretty tired, but I'll still try to go three to four times a week through the winter and then summer pretty much never because I'm so busy in the summer. You don't really sleep in Alaska in the summer because it's never dark. You're kind of like just naturally strong as fuck though, aren't you? Like you just, I mean, yeah, a lot of people put a moose quarter on like in a Barney's pack and they'll, they'll sit down, their buddy will have to help you get them up. Uh, I'm not very smart. I've done two moose by myself before. And so if you're going to be, if you're going to be dumb and shoot a 1600 pound animal, wherever it falls, like that's how it is. Like you can't maneuver that animal. So you have to be strong and be able to manhandle it and use some rope and paracord and kind of position it where you need to. Um, that's like 800 pounds of meat you're doing by yourself. It's like a full on marathon to get the thing cut up. But yeah, I can take a 130 pound moose quarter on a pack and just lift it up kind of over my head and put it on, I guess. Tan, my wife think that's kind of like freak of nature strong, but I'm like, we got to get going. And if I'm by myself, who's going to help me, who's going to help me get up, you know? So like, you can't be a bitch about it. Yeah. I got some buddies like you that are, that are kind of like that. So. Um, let me see if I can't get you fired up here a little bit. Um, oh man, here we go. so I, I, I don't, I, um, I need to know the backstory regarding the Sitka thing. So I'll be, I'll be honest with you, former Sitka guy, but I've been hearing all this shit. I don't really know why, why it is, but I got a good friend of mine who used to make fun of me. I'm like, man, like, I don't really care what people think, but fuck, like I need to get rid of this shit. And I got you over here on the other side. Um, you know, wearing flat bills and writing shit on hats and stuff that is just hilarious. Where and why is this sick a thing an actual thing? Can you give me a little background on it? Because I'm I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, before I start, I just want to say like it's all in good fun, and of course, I don't really care. And I just bef- I want to apologize to absolutely no one that I offend before I go into this <laughs> because I let don't it hang. Know. Not a dick bone. Don't take it so hard. Um, first and foremost, I don't think their stuff fits very good. It's way overpriced. Um, you can buy it at a real, re, like a retail store, like Cabela's or something like that. So they have to have a huge markup on it. Um, but the biggest thing to me, and I'm sure you've seen this, like you can be rolling through Instagram reels or stuff. I don't have time for that anymore, but I've seen it before. All the girls with OnlyFans page that would take pictures and they would all be wearing Sitka. For the simps out east or whatever that want to follow these girls and think they're some super badass hunter or the girls who don't have an only fans and boys um mostly whitetail hunters and they will just take like pictures of them shooting their bow or girls will like take a picture in a pair of sitka pants and a bra shooting their bow and those kind of people and i know firsthand sitka gives them free shit because they want them to be like the new makita girl right and I sure. get it. Like when we're growing up and you go in an auto parts place or whatever with your dad and you see the girl with a grinder and a hard hat and a lingerie set right on the calendar in the side of the auto shop. I'm like, mm, she's really good looking, but I don't think she's probably using a grinder all day wearing a bikini. We know that's for marketing. When it comes to hunting side, we're, we all grew up hunting the guys who did it before social media and before it was the cool thing to do. That kind of strikes home with me because it's a false representation of hunting. And that's what really chaps my ass. I could care less what you wear. I have buddies who kill tons of stuff that wear Sitka. And we joke about it. And I don't really care. But the fact that Sitka wants to give their stuff, their high high priced expensive gear, to people who never kill anything because they look good or they have a big social media influence, I think that's wrong. And I don't think you should represent the hunting industry that way. By giving free products to people just because they look good. You should be giving your shit to people who consistently put animals on the ground, who have a good following, who can promote conservation and different things like that. Yeah, that's kind of my main bitch. I hate using the word, uh, I was giving you shit earlier, but like the hunting influencer or even like the hunting industry. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't get involved in it. I'm neither, uh, neither of those things. But is there anybody like kind of in that room? Like, what's that? I think that's why my stuff resonates with a lot of people or whatever. Social media buddies. It's because I'm in the hunting industry, quote unquote. But I'm like one foot in, one foot out. I'm not bought by anyone. 
I wear pretty much strictly Kuyu stuff because they don't give anyone free shit. They don't give me free stuff, you know, and I've worn it since 2012 and done a lot of marketing. We have YouTube videos on Stuck in the Rut. We're all wearing their stuff. Cool thing about that and why I want to support that company is they don't need to. They have real people using their stuff. They don't need to give it out to people like that. And if there is a discount, they give it to guides and outfitters because that's how Jason started the company because those are the professionals in the industry, not girls sitting in tree stands with makeup making TikToks. Yeah, facts. Um, my point, though, was, like, is there anybody kind of in that realm of things in the hunting world that you look at and you, you just respect what they're doing? As far as an influencer? Sure, if you want to call it that. like No, I don't really think highly of many influencers or whatever. I know buddies that have social media that put a lot of big stuff on the ground, and that's what resonates to me. Um, you know, like my buddy Justin Schaefer, we went moose hunting this year. He's going to go brown bear hunt with me. The dude is extremely lethal, um, extremely aggressive, and I think that's what makes him good. And he can shoot a bow phenomenally. Um and kills a lot and that kind of stuff resonates for me more so than a person who has followers or different things like that people who do multiple hunts a year hunt out of state who do all these different things do it yourself not necessarily with a guide holding your hand and consistently kill a lot of big stuff those are those are people i look up to but honestly dude i i have a social media i don't sit there and do the thumb workout and just look through reels or look through people's stuff or look at stories I think that's honestly what's wrong with a lot of America. If you think about maybe this is an eye-opening point that if you're one of these guys or girls, like you come home from work and then you're just latched on the screen and you're not paying attention to your kids, you're not involved with your family. And I see it a lot from people, um, buddies included, that are just so focused on what's going out in the outside world. They don't want to interact with their family, their wife or stuff like that. Um I just get all kinds of messages and I try to respond to people, but it also makes me think like maybe we should get off the phones a whole lot. So I try not to be on the phone. I try and set like time limits and different things like that. When I'll get on Instagram, I'll answer people's messages. But if you send me reels, please stop. Like I don't have time or the internet in Alaska to watch your reels or anything like that. I barely have time to just live a normal life with five kids and an airplane and a wife and multiple different things I'm doing for work. So how about tagging you in a giveaway or a post that has absolutely nothing to do with Adam Granda? Those are always personally my favorite when I get tagged in shit that I just have no involvement in. I, I, I just love those. So keep doing it, guys. I appreciate I, it. I don't even don't even look. I don't even have time. Man, you know, I like I I have people send me reels and I roll through and I'll show my wife. I'm like, Does this person send you reels? Oh, yeah. And it's the whole thing. I've never responded for a year. But it's 200 reels you've sent me for a year. Do you think you'd get the message? Like, I don't care, you know? Sorry, right. getting a little hot. It's just like. No, why, I love that. Why do you think I need to watch this? I, I don't care. I have my own life. Get off your phone instead of sitting there for six, seven, eight hours a day rolling through Instagram reels and sending them to random strangers. And I think, like. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this that know you way better than I. I don't personally know you like we're we've talked on the phone a couple times over the past year and a half or whatever. But the first time I ever got you on the phone, um, one of the first things you said to me was like, dude, I barely know how to work. Like, I know I got a big following and this is going viral and shit, but like, I barely even know how to make a post, man. Like, I'm hardly ever on there. So um, that's genuine. You're not just making this up just because you're doing a podcast. So for those being like, oh, he's lying. He's he can't not be on the phone all the time if he's got. I don't even know how many followers you have. I think it's quite a few. Thirty three thousand um, people want to watch my freaking shit. I don't know why. And uh, yeah, it's good for business. I'll, I can sell fur, so that's cool. I can sell a bunch of dicks. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a good reason to thirty three thousand people wanting to watch your shit is because it's just like how it is now. It's genuine. It's type A. If you like it, stick around. If you don't, don't care. That's kind of how I, that is how I portray myself online and on podcasts because it's just kind of who I am. So take it or leave it. And that's how you are. And might not be the biggest following over here or on your end, but the real ones appreciate, I think, guys like us and just dudes who just say it how it is. Yeah, and in life in general, but especially the hunting industry, I feel like authenticity is really, really hard to come by. 
And then there's a lot of people, pick your favorite influencer, if you will, and if you've ever met your hero, a lot of times they are an introvert, they're an asshole, they're totally stuck up because they have 200,000 people that follow them on Instagram, and that does not make you a good person. You know, how you treat other people is how it makes you a good person. So I get messages from guys, hey, I saw you in the store, and I'm like, dude, don't be a pussy. Next time, come up and say hi. Let's talk about hunting. Oh, you were busy. I didn't want to bother you. I'm like, dude, come say hi. I'm just a normal guy. Or people will introduce them, introduce themselves to me and they'll stick out their hand and they're like, they'll shy away and they won't even look me in the eyes or even, I'm like, what's your name? Like, do you have a name? Like, can you say hello? You know, like I'm just a normal freaking dude. And just like you, like that's, that's how it is. That's kind of one of the negatives of social media. And then you you hear a lot of stories where people meet their favorite influencer and they're a total introvert or they're a complete 180 from what their online personality is. And I never will be that person. Like I said, I have one foot in the industry, one foot out. I'm not bought by any company. I'm sponsored by a couple people and I do a few marketing deals and stuff. But that's because I've used their stuff for years and I like it and they want me to market their stuff. And so it works out. But I'll never be the Billy Mays of like, hey look, this knife is the best and you should use this because, you know, I tell people what yeah. knives I use and I use a goat knife because I can use it. It's lightweight and it's a Havilon style blade. It weighs like half ounce. It's titanium and I can do a whole moose with it. That's why I have it, you know? Yeah. And I think that reaction of people like being shy and shit might come from them meeting their quote favorite influencer and they portray themselves to be this great person on the internet. And then when they meet them in person, they're a fucking dick. I've had that at tax and everything else where i'm like this guy's an asshole i am never using their shit again but on yeah. the internet he looks like the bee's knees so like i don't know same with you if someone sees you out in public they're gonna get what you are online or anywhere same with me we're just dudes man like people freak out when i have some of these people on the podcast they're like oh my god you talk to jack Carr, you talk to dakota meyer blah, blah. i'm like these guys are just fucking guys, man. Like, I just DM'd them and asked bad? them if they wanted to. I don't even What's know. that? Is it bad? I don't even know who those guys are. No, it's not bad at all. But, like, for other people, they're like, oh, my God. And it's like, they're just people. They're just dudes. And they're actually, like, pretty fucking down-to-earth guys that want to help and get on a kind of lower-scale, not-as-high-traffic podcast and do the kid a solid. Like, they're actually good people. They're not the end-all, be-all, like, famous man like and that's just because they have a lot of followers people think that and it's crazy to me yeah i agree man uh instagram is there's a lot of fake phony people out there there's some good i met some good friends and stuff like that through there it's same cool. here it's cool kind of sharing your story but yeah there's a lot of negatives too but there's also a lot of positives that come from it do you get out of state and hunt a lot i know you were in montana last year but if i were you bro i just wouldn't fucking leave like you got it's everything. hard dude it's really hard to leave because like for instance i can buy a 94 dollar hunting trapping and fishing license and if if i wanted to punch the most tags i think i can shoot five brown bears two goats six deer unlimited black bears two mountain goats a sheep a moose or two like a bull and a cow in some units um and there's probably some that I'm missing. Oh, you can shoot 10 wolves a day. So why would, why would you want to leave that? Have your own transportation, a skill set, an airplane that allows you to access places most people won't or can't. Um, have the finances to do it and a supporting wife. Like when I went sheep hunting last year with my brother-in-law, Travis, she's like, when are you going to be home? And I said, when we're done. And that was a really cool moment for me because I don't have a schedule. I don't have to have a boss. I got to call daddy and say, hey, I need a couple more days or something. Can I please hunt or something like that? Um, so it's really hard, but I am, I am talking with Hunt and Fool on Monday, a buddy works for there and I got to figure out what to do because I got nine elk points and I really want to burn those because hunting elk with a bow is pretty cool, man. Like it's, it's hard to beat. Calling in big yeah. moose is sweet. They're giant. They want to kill you when you're, when they're in the rut and stuff like that. But an elk screaming in your face is, it's pretty tough. So I want to hunt Wyoming this year. Uh, I drew a whitetail tag in Kansas last year, but I was elk hunting in Idaho that conflicted, so I bailed on Kansas. I might try Kansas again with a buddy, um, and Colorado's going to turn into a shit show, so I need to get rid of those points too, you know? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the hunts that you give away with these certain partnerships that you have? Because I just think that, I mean, you guys just gave away a rifle, I think, and then you gave away that, that brown bear hunt a couple months ago. 
what you're doing is fucking awesome clarify that so elite hunt club is a company um that i market for and so it's a for-profit company it's not a charity company and some of those are for profit like the brown bear one was to profit like i have buddies and i book hunts for people um who are outfitters and stuff i get asked all the time hey where should i go different things like that and so i'll send them to the outfitter i'll book some hunts for them and I got us a brown bear hunt. I purchased that. We got a contract and then we sold tickets for that. And I think it was like 25 bucks a ticket. And that sold out in like 10 or 12 hours. People are people pretty upset because it sold so fast. I think we have another one in the works. It's just a lot of paperwork to get through. But with that same company, like I can arrange all that stuff and I can market it on social media and everything. But I can't do the raffle and the paperwork and the giveaway stuff. So through that... Um, we've had some people who are unfortunate with sick kids or, um, like Mike and Brittany down in Idaho, some friends of ours, she got like an uncurable blood cancer. And so through different friends and outfitters, I've been able to basically get hunts donated from an outfitter. Like one guy did one for Africa and then a buddy just said, Hey, I'm going to build you a rifle. And then we had a mountain lion hunt. And so elite hunt club was selfless enough to do all the paperwork and stuff like that not take a dime from it and then the cool part about that if you make say you make twenty thousand on a raffle right like they have like three and a half four percent for credit card fees so they'll cover that and then they'll take the 16 grand and instead of going to gofundme which pulls like 10 or 12 percent they'll just wire the people the money so you net a whole lot more and it's just a really that's probably the coolest thing ever from social media i've ever experienced is just seeing people give back um I'm pretty hard-headed and pretty tough when it comes to kids. I'm a fucking softy, man. Like, they'll they'll roll me every single time. And uh, almost brought tears to my eyes when we did the gun because the gun sold out, like, in three hours or something like that. Raised a ton of money for my buddy's sick daughter who I think needed a liver transplant. Ended up helping with that. And uh, it just takes a lot of burden off the parents. And the parents like, oh, what can I do? I said, what you can do is never call me. I said, we're going to handle all this. You take care of the kid. You take care of mom. And let me, like, I'm getting chills just thinking about it now. I just let, let us handle it. We're going to send you money and money's not going to fix the problem. But I don't want you guys to worry. You got bigger problems. Everyone's got kids. Everyone never wants to be in your shoes. And there's a lot of people that are rooting for you guys. And so that is probably the coolest thing that's ever come from social media. And I'm just really blessed to be in a position that I can market that people get a hunt or they get a rifle if they win. And there's so many people like, dude, if I win it, I'm just going to donate back. And so that's pretty cool because in that case, then you get to do it all over again. Yeah, exactly. No, that's really cool, man. Um, I can tell that you kind of got a soft spot. And I think probably we all do when it comes to kids, at least if you don't, you, you should. Um, can you talk a little bit about being a dad, if you don't mind, a little on a more serious note? Yeah, being a dad's tough, man. It's like one of the hardest jobs out there because – um, I tell people like you are solely responsible for raising this person to be good, have ethics, have morals, um, to treat people respectfully. And it's up to you to raise this kid and they could be the next Ted Bundy or they could be the next president. Most likely they're going to fall somewhere in between. But if you go to a school or talk to your kids or go to a public school, there is a bunch of little assholes out there, man. And that is because dad comes home and he does this and he sits on his phone and he stares at his phone. Instead of yelling at his kids or talking to the teachers or talking about how their day was, making sure they're respectful to their mom and their siblings and their friends, saying yes, sir, no, ma'am, that kind of stuff, they don't step up when they need to. And I think people need to be good parents to raise our next generation. And so I'm trying to do the best I can. My wife and I spent a bunch of money in fertility stuff, like 40 grand, weren't able to have kids, did a bunch of in vitro rounds, and then we ended up getting into foster care which is a whole nother freaking story. Um, and ended up adopting five native kids all from one family, um, out of a village. And so we adopted those. We've stayed in foster care, which is really difficult because most of our kids in Alaska and Western Alaska are native and neglect, sexual abuse, alcohol and drug abuse. Um, just mom and dad never being there. If your parents have once hooked on heroin and once hooked on fentanyl, you're never going to see mom and dad. You're just going to bounce around from house to house. And that's not how a kid should be raised. And so the white people like me come in because we want to help and be a foster parent. And a lot of times we've seen before 
that you'll have this kid for a year, two years, and then with less than a week notice or that same day, they'll say, okay, you're done. We're going to take the kid back. And it's like, well, mom and dad or mom and specifically, because dad's usually never in the picture, hasn't changed. And the kid's going back to this horrible environment and nothing's changed. And that's the purpose of foster care is the goal is to reunify the kid with the parent, but the parent has to do these steps. Well, in our case of the kid's native, there's federal laws that allow that tribe to just take the kid back with like no recourse. And then they just go right back to mom. And so you've had them for two years, you've impacted them, you made a difference, but the end goal is this kid doesn't have a bright future ahead. And I've had to turn away kids crying my eyes out and driving them to the airport and saying, look, I'm not going to be there to protect you. I'm not going to be there to kill the guy that's going to hurt you. You need to be strong and you need to be a fighting motherfucker. And don't stop fighting because, like, it's kind of like Johnny Cash song, Boy Named Sue. Give you that name and walk away. Like, that's kind of what you're setting this kid up for. And after you've loved him, how do you how do you just give that kid away? It's hard, man. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done to see your wife crying and just wailing in tears over and over again. It takes a part of your heart that never leaves. And that's hard. But we're still in it because there's a lot of kids that need help and just need good parents, you know. I just wish the system was set up in a way where you could actually win the fight and care about the kids. Because I have to scream in court over the phone and no one's ever asked how the kid's doing. They ask about how's mom, how's dad, how's the attorney. I said, none, none of you assholes ever asked how the kid is. Who cares about the kid? Right. Am I the only one that cares about kids here? You know? So, sorry to go off on a little rant there. But, uh, yeah, I love kids. have a huge soft spot for them. And I'm never going to stop swinging because I'm in their corner 100%. No, I appreciate you kind of opening up about that because I wasn't going to get into your business. Like a lot of people on here don't want to talk about their kids or families or some shit, but that's just kind of a whole different side of you to, that people might not normally see. And I think it's important because what you and your wife are doing is absolutely the right freaking thing, giving these kids a chance in a great life where, I mean, more than half of them don't stand a chance just due to their circumstance. Yeah, I mean, statistically, you're gonna, you're if your parents are into drugs and alcohol and you're neglected, that's kind of the road you're gonna go down. Because without proper parenting, most kids are gonna turn out evil, you know, and that's that's the state of it. And you're gonna become an alcoholic or addicted to drugs, prison, dead. Um, statistics don't lie, and so we're just trying to make a difference and give these kids some sort of hope, you know. And if it ends up we adopt them or they go back, I just want what's best for the kid. But a lot of times, I see it where. It doesn't end up in the best interest of the kid. It ends up in the best interest of the tribe or the mom or the dad or something like that. And, yeah, it's just it's unfortunate for the kid. That's the way the system's set up. Is there any age limit or is it the age limit just like when they become an adult? I think when you become 18, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, we get we get calls. We have to turn, around, turn down all the time because I got five kids right now and – that's hard enough as it is. So I get calls weekly. My wife gets a couple calls every week um, needing placements for foster care parents. Um, and like I said, when we started, dude, I never thought I would be here. When I looked at foster care kids that were like in school with me and stuff like that, I was like, man, those people must be a saint. Because you're taking a kid that has trauma, that has baggage, that has neglect and bad behavior, and you're bringing it in, and they're terrified. You know, they cry themselves to yeah. sleep night for a whole week because they don't know where they are they don't know where mom and dad is and little kids especially they don't remember the bad they just remember the good and so they remember the good times they don't know that mom and dad left them to go get heroin you know for three four days yeah. and they had to from themselves when they're five they just remember the good times of chuck e cheese for their birthday when they were four and so it's hard doing that transition and seeing these cry kids cry for mom and dad to try and make a difference but yeah it sucks but we're just trying to help dude you know, and I never thought I'd be one of those foster care parents, but it's kind of how it works. And funny part, I got to put this in there. My wife has said yes to, I think, four kids. And I'm usually out of service flying or hunting and I haven't been around. And so it's crazy how that works. And then we we're in Montana. I was in there and uh, going out of service. My wife's like, hey, I got a call. We got this 11-year-old girl. She's staying at a hotel with like a child services escort to watch her but she's been kicked out of all these foster care homes and she's got a lot of trauma and behavioral issues and I just I feel like we need to say yes and I'm like we just lost a boy we had for two years like three months ago and we're grieving that my kids are grieving the loss of their baby brother they took him with three days notice and I said now you're gonna throw a freaking curveball in the middle of Catalina wine mixer 
she didn't get the freaking reference, of course, because she hasn't seen the best movies of all time. But I said no. And she's like, you're just going to say no. And we got in a fight about it. I said, yeah, it's my job as a dad to protect the household, protect you and our kids. I get that you have a big heart. But I said, I saw what the last kid did to you. I'm not setting us back up. And we got in a fight about it. And I just, I was texting her. I said, whatever, do whatever you want. And then I went hunting, came back into service. And guess what? I said, ready or not, here the kid comes. Had that kid for six months. We were supposed to have it for 30 days. Had a lot of issues. Ended up going to the hospital a couple times. And I was working on my airplane. A friend came over and said, hey, they're taking your kid. My wife had taken her for a visit, right? Just for a couple days. They get there. And they said, yeah, you're not you're not leaving with the kid. We're keeping it here. And so I never even got to say goodbye. That was, that was pretty hard. So just stuff like that. Um, and bless my wife's heart. Like, I would say yes to, most likely. But she says yes pretty much to every kid. And it's it's a really... It's a good and a bad thing because I'm usually out of service. And I get back and I said, guess to get a text. Like, guess what? We're getting a kid. And I'm like, Tana, this isn't a dog. This is a human. You know? And she's like, I just couldn't say no. So, bless her heart. Yeah, you guys got you, – both of you guys got good hearts, man. That's good on y'all, man. A lot of people wouldn't wouldn't do that. So, good on y'all. Y'all are doing the right thing. Um, I hope you don't mind that we've been kind of all over the place, man. Like I told you, I, I didn't write shit down. I just kind of want to jump around and shoot the shit with you. You're – Always kind of got the vibe that you were that type of dude. Um, no, I roll, and I didn't want to leave like on a bad note with foster care and stuff. It's there's a lot of good benefits for the kids and stuff like that, and you feel like you're really making a difference. But once again, I'm just a normal guy. I'm not like like oh, you just must be a saint, a selfless dude. I'm like no, I'm just trying to help these kids. You know, if you have the ability to do it, and we do, and you can withstand that mentally and through your soul, I think people should definitely consider it. Absolutely. We won't leave on that. I got one more question for you, and I'll get you out, man. What's that taxidermy bill look like year per year? Oh, dude, it's hard. So I shot a 181 bighorn in uh, Idaho, and that's huge. And everyone's like, you got to life-size this, right? Well, that's like through a buddy, even with a deal, of seven grand. And then I shot a giant 169-inch doll sheep, so one inch shy of Boone and Crockett, which doll sheep's the hardest animal to put into the book. Um, I doubt I'll ever see a sheep that big ever in my life again. Ended up shooting him this year, so that's another seven. I don't. What's a shoulder mount on an elk cost? Like fifteen hundred bucks? Yeah, easily. Well, it's probably yeah. about two grand because I need to. Well, I was going to do it anyways, but now the antlers are cut off. They're going to be detachables, right? And for shipping to Alaska, that's a lot easier. So we're looking at fourteen, probably another two. That's sixteen right there. Um, I think that's about it. And I might do shoulder mounts on the sheep. I'm not sure yet. Um, just because I got a hanger. I got like 12 moose in the hanger already. And it's kind of run out of space. And a life-size sheep takes up a lot of wall space. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. Um, for everybody that doesn't know you before I get you out of here, man, where can people uh, check you out? Even though I know you're not incredibly active online. But if they're <sighs> interested, where can they find you? I have a Facebook, but I I don't confirm any friends or anything. I get all these friend requests. Unless I personally know you, I'm not going to go on there. You can follow me on Instagram. It's just Greta89. And, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of humor in there. There's some real-life stuff and a lot of hunting and trapping and kids. So follow along if you want. If not, hit the unfollow button. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. <laughs> you know? Perfect, perfect way to end it, man. Uh, yeah. Do me a solid. Stay on the line for just a second. I'll get you out of here, man. I appreciate you. You got it. Thank you for listening to the Knock Performance Podcast. For additional information, resources, and more, visit knockperformance.com. Remember, regardless of where you're at in life, it's never too late to start performing. Go get to work.